So we have begun a series of sermons on our life verses. And we've asked people in the congregation to give us uh, an, a, a verse that you have chosen sometime in your life as kind of symbolizing either what your life is like or what your aspirations are or what you're longing for, uh, a life, a, a verse that guides you through life. So we've received uh, more than 15 uh, different um, uh, contributions from you, and uh, some of them had more than one. Somebody has six verses it takes them to get through life. Um, last week we looked at uh, the, the verse that came up most often, uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Today I've selected one that came uh, uh, through Stephen Underwood, and it is 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. So I'm going to ask Steve to come up. He, he agreed to this, um, to be interviewed about this life verse. Stephen, we go to the same barber, right? <laughs> Standing here. Okay, Steve, um, the verse you chose, uh, 2 Timothy 1.7, do you remember why it is that you selected that verse or how it has been important in your life? Yes, um, it's kind of been my, just my favorite verse throughout my life, I think in college especially. Um, I was scared to death of academics. Uh, I went to Bethel College in St. Paul. I had um, been on heavy drugs for quite a while, and so just finding my classroom was a challenge. Um, but I mean, I, you know, I became sober and, and grew spiritually and that became one of my um, great verses. Um, the, the God has given us love and power and a sound mind uh, is just amazing. And there's been times in my life um, where I have been very afraid and I'm even today afraid of some things. And so I hold on to that because it says God's not given us a spirit of fear. Great. It's, it's hard to imagine you afraid of anything. <laughs> I see you as somebody who'll dive in. Um, well, yes. I have uh, dived into lots of things, and one of them was a cliff. Mm. When, um, when Debbie and I were in the Philippines many years ago, um, we had been, uh, we were way, way up in northern Luzon at the um, ancient rice terraces. And our bus was uh, taken over by the NPA, which is a communist group, and which kills Americans instantly. Uh, they took over our bus. Some of the people in our group did die. Um, but um, I said to Debbie, jump. And we <laughs> jumped off a cliff, and that's what saved us. Whoa. You didn't land on your head, did you? <laughs> <laughs> it was raining and muddy, and we hid way down in the jungle okay. uh, until the guns ceased. You raise an interesting point. Sometimes a life verse that you've kind of built into you becomes operative in a situation. Mm. You don't think it through, but it kind of takes you over. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Well, thank you, Steve. If, thank you, George. If I say anything wrong in the sermon, <laughs> jump up, okay? God bless you. Now we're going to give the children an opportunity to choose whether you like Connie better than me. 
So any uh, young people who want to go to kids' churches is your chance. Okay. I want to go to that passage, 2 Timothy 1.7, but I want to start at the first verse as Paul uh, writes this second letter to a young man that he had kind of discipled in the faith. So beginning with verse 1, he says, Paul says, I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did. That's an interesting allusion because Paul was raised by a very orthodox rabbinic Jewish family. And in a sense, he was breaking with his family by following Jesus and giving his life to a whole new expression of faith. And we don't know how his family reacted to that, but we don't know of any of his relatives who became Christians. So the assumption is they remained in the faith of their ancestors. But Paul was still thankful for the heritage he had, even, even if it was one that he broke with and in his mind went beyond. His ancestors helped him be the person that he was. Going on, when I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day, uh, Paul prayed for Timothy because he saw something in this young man which reflected on him. And he's passing on the truth to Timothy as his ancestors had passed on the truth as they understood it to Paul. And he says in verse 4, Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Now see how personal uh, this letter is. Verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure lives in you. Paul reflected on his ancestors' gift to him and now sees the same process in Timothy, the faith that was first in his mother, uh, his grandmother Lois, and then his mother Eunice. Then he calls on Timothy in verse 6 to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. Rekindle the gift or stir up the gift. So Timothy has some latent gifts, some dormant gifts, which need to be stirred up. And maybe this is why I think uh, Stephen, in his allusion to this, talked about uh, fear in a new situation. And timidity, maybe it's because the name Timothy sounds like timid. I don't know. But, but there are other reasons why we think maybe uh, Timothy had this problem. I'm going to share this with you. Timothy was born in the center of Asia Minor, now Turkey, of a Jewish mother, Eunice, uh, and a Greek father. The grandmother, Lois, was Jewish and converted to Jesus Christ when she heard the gospel. And then her daughter received that gift of faith from her. Her daughter 
probably was already married at this point to, well, he, certainly she was already married at, to this uh, Greek pagan husband. So that was an intermarriage to begin with, a Jewish woman and a Greek uh, pagan husband who had a lot to deal with to work out a life together. Now Jesus is in the mix. And uh, Timothy could have been really confused by all of that. But there was something when Paul met him that just made a straight line to Timothy through Eunice and Lois. I think the family connections here are important. Uh, here's a modern depiction of, of mother, grandmother, and Timothy. And Rembrandt, back in the 17th century, just focused on Grandma Lois and her relationship with Timothy and catches that, that spiritual connection. There's a, an episode in Acts chapter 16 when Paul takes this young man, I would imagine he's in his late teens by this time, and takes him on a missionary journey. Ultimately, he becomes a kind of intern to Paul and a companion uh, throughout his second and third missionary trips. But the first issue that he had to deal with was the confusion. It's going to be hard for us to get into this situation, but uh, Paul is going to go to Gentile populations. He's spreading the gospel to non-Jews, but he always does it through the synagogue. He goes into a town and he starts working with the Jewish population and out of that reaches the city. Well, t in Paul's mind, Timothy being uncircumcised because he had the Greek father was going to be a problem. Now, later on, Paul had to stand against the, uh, the, the requirement that Jewish Christians wanted to put on Gentile converts to be circumcised, which symbolizes all of the Jewish law that they would be taking on that. But that is really an important step for Paul. And Silas took, or Timothy took that step. And that was a big commitment for him. But then he had to go out and preach to the uncircumcised to preach that that's not going to save you and the gospel will free you. Now, before we go on any farther, I want to show you the translation in the King James, which I'm sure you learned as a kid, and then the translation in the Revised Standard Version. Notice, God has not given us a spirit of fear in the traditional King James. In the Revised Standard Version, most modern versions, God did not give us a spirit of cowardice. You picked up on that with Timothy, Timid, and all of that. Uh, and then he says, but rather of power and love of sound mind, and uh, the Revised Standard says, rather a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. So there's a different word chosen there. Um, when, we, when we look into it, we find that the meaning of that word fear in the King James and cowardice in the Revised Standard has all of those nuances. And it has to do with um, 
being afraid because of your self-doubt, of, of your um, un unsureness of your ability to cope with the situation. And you may find ways to hide, like drug use or just escaping into shyness or something else. But you're not naturally a bold person. And, and sometimes God calls people like that, says, I want you to go out and preach or to teach or to witness. Or you say, who? Me? Not me. Well, <clears throat> Paul saw this as a kind of spiritual stewardship had been handed to him by his ancestors to pass the truth on. And now Timothy, this had been handed to him by his ancestors on the maternal side, mother and grandmother, and they were both being spiritual stewards. Listen to this in uh, 2 Timothy 1.11. For this gospel I was appointed a herald and, a, and an apostle and a teacher. And for this reason, I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed. Ashamed, like that would be a, a, a natural response. But I am not ashamed, for I know that the one in whom I have put my trust, I am sure that he is able to guard the deposit. Keep that phrase in mind. To guard the deposit I have entrusted to him. Hold to the standard of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit. So Paul says, I have been put in trust with a message of hope, and I have a responsibility to guard that. And now I'm passing it on to you, and you have a responsibility to guard that. That's an interesting idea. Whether you do nothing else in life, if you pass the faith on to your kids or to others around you, you have guarded the deposit. We are heirs of this building, which goes back to 1956. A church on this corner goes back to 1920. There was never anything but a church on that lawn out there. And that is... I think of this often. That's a heritage that we have that's been given to us and that we have a responsibility to pass on to the next generation of little itchy kids who run around. That, if you do nothing else, that is a, an accomplishment. You're fulfilling your spiritual stewardship. But, you know, it wasn't Timothy's nature. Timid Timothy tended to to shrink. Now, how do we know this? There are a couple of statements in the first letter of Timothy, of Paul to Timothy, that indicate that Paul saw Timothy as someone who tended to shrink from the limelight and be in the background and not take a bold step. Look at uh, 1 Timothy 4.12, for instance. Paul says, let no one despise your youth. Now, you only say that to someone who thinks people despise his youth. Let no one despise your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Okay, Paul, you do that and I'll, I'll, I'll follow you. No, no, you 
set the example. He's setting Timothy up to be a leader. And now here's a that wonderful little verse in chapter 5, verse 23. He says, No longer drink only water, but take a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Now, we don't know what, that, what the frequent ailments were, but apparently uh, Timothy may have been a sickly person. So, you know, he was not like a tower strength. And uh, Paul said, take a sip once in a while. We'll have to analyze that some other week. <laughs> but are you a Timothy? Are you a Timothy? At some critical moment in your life, for Stephen, it may have been escaping in the Philippines, but he's got other stories too. At some critical moment in your life, things will come together in a way that you hadn't anticipated. And you'll be called upon to be the hero. Okay? Not me. You will be challenged to stir up the gift that is in you. The gift that is dormant in you. But, <laughs> you know, when that moment comes and you feel eyes looking to you and you feel the Lord looking at you and you say, who? Me? You've got the wrong guy, Lord. I'm, I'm a follower, not a leader. But sometimes you're going to have to be a leader. That's the way life is. We get put into these situations and God has given us within us the gift that we need. We need to stir it up. We need to rekindle it as Paul said. Now your initial response may be like Timothy, cowardice, fear, dread, timidity, you know, peeking out. Is that you? But the Lord has not given us the spirit of timidity. He's given us the spirit of power. Now that's a, that's a powerful word. You know what the Greek word is? Dunamis, which sounds a bit like dynamite, which is where we get the word dynamite. It's really power. And he has given this little timid you power so that you don't have to shrink. Okay, superpower? What's your superpower? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I can talk intelligently about superheroes. I know some of you have dedicated your life to a knowledge of <laughs> superheroes. But there are lots of them. I, when, I, when I was a kid, there was Superman and nothing else. Yeah. But then uh, all these other guys came along and they all have superpowers. Interestingly, most, most, of the, most of the superheroes have a point of weakness too. You know, the kryptonite thing I know about. But if, if you think your superpower is going to be enough, remember every one of these superheroes encounters a supervillain. And, and there's lots of those as well. I can't name them all, but I recognize the faces. 
and next to all the forces that you're called to stand up in front of, you are a pretty pathetic superhero at your best. But here is the wonderful super formula that Paul shares with Timothy. Stephen alluded to the combination of ideas that are here. When power is ignited by love and channeled by thoughtful and self-discipline, it can become dynamite, even in the person who wants to hide for cover, run for cover. When power is ignited by love and channeled by thoughtful self-discipline, the gift of the spirit ignited by love and channeled by self-control becomes a believer's superpower. In that moment, becomes your superpower. Now, love's an important piece of this, and it's amazing that's right next to power. Because we, we think of power as something that doesn't need love. You do what I say. You want to be reassured of my love after you do what I say. No, power is controlled by love, ignited by love, and then channeled by self-control. That word, which is self-control in one translation, is also called, um, what is it in the King James? Soundness of mind? Oh, okay. So this means that if you are in a situation where the need to assert power, maybe in this moment, your superpower comes to the fore that you didn't know you had. Before you express it, think. First love, then think. And when you put those together, you will be able to, uh, well, your life could be a superhero movie when you do things God's will in God's way. So I know you're peeking out. Just for a moment, you're peeking out. You want to run for cover after that. Um, I'm up here, you know. I could, I could put the finger out there and point to you right now. God's calling you. I won't point. But you know, we, we're afraid of that. We're afraid of that, and there's something in us that wants to hide. But listen, here's what I get from this verse. I call it the spiritual dynamite formula. Respect your spiritual heritage. That's what Paul talks about up front. Stir up the gift that is in you. Cultivate love and exercise Thoughtful self-control. That's spiritual dynamite. That's you. You peeking out there. That's you. Help us, Lord, to just accept what you say. In spite of all the self-doubt we have and all the failures that give us good reason to doubt ourselves, help us to recognize that you have called us and you will equip us and help us 
to follow the formula, to exercise power with love and self-control, and to respect our heritage and to honor you and to see the explosion that can be caused in our challenging life situation. We pray that you will bless us and enrich us. And now as we turn to the communion service, Lord, help us to be ready to accept you in a new way. Through Jesus Christ we pray, amen.